It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM, our weekly opportunity to sit down with journalists from all over the East End to talk about the week's headlines. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. My co-host is Bill Sutton. He's the managing editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, the website 27East.com, and Express Magazine. Bill Sutton, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. Three good guests again this week, as usual. We have Chrissy Sampson, who's the Deputy Managing Editor of the East Hampton Star. Good morning, Chrissy. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. We have Michael Mackey, who's the local host of Morning Edition right here on WLIWFM. Michael, thank you for uh, sharing the station with us for a week. My pleasure. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for being here. And we have Denise Civiletti, who is the editor of Riverhead Local. Hey, Denise. Hey, how you doing? Good to have you. So um, let's start with an article we had this week, Bill, and that is about Sandland. Uh, we have been writing about Sandland, which is a sand mining operation in Noyak for years. And it has been in the spotlight because it has continued to operate in one manner or another, even though the state and town have both attempted to shut it down. And whatever happened and whatever court rulings happened, it seemed like the operation was was like cockroach. They just could not kill it. It just kept operating even despite the, the court rulings. What happened this week that we found out? Um, so so it seems that, and, and we don't have any, any confirmation from them, but it seems that they have... Um, uh, closed the the Noyak uh, mine, and they are telling people that their um, retail, for lack of a better word, operations um, have moved to um, to property that they have in in Wainscott. So it looks like they've stopped mining. It looks like they've stopped digging. Whether that has to do with um, with with the multiple court orders um, or not to you know to 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 stop mining. Um, is 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 a little unclear. The uh, the owner of the mine and and their representatives didn't uh, didn't return calls this week, but they did. Um, you know they did have uh, you know signs up that um, you know that they were moving to uh, to um, to the Wainscott, which operation which used to be was formerly occupied by Southampton Masonry. Yeah, uh, and on, that's they said a letter on Talk Highway. They sent a letter out to customers and said that they right. were relocating their operations. But it, it, from all appearances, it looks like the operations at Sandland are finally closed. And Chrissy, right. this is this this is a battle that's been going on for years and years and years, right? We've been writing. I think both the Star and the Press have been writing about this. Um, it's it's got to be more a than decade, five. Please. Yeah, I, I think, think it so. dates back. My so I started writing about it in like 2016. Um, And at some point, you know, just a little bit of background as to why it was so controversial, right? Because at some point, Suffolk County came in and did some water quality testing, and they found some pollutants and chemicals in the groundwater samples that they took at Sandland, right? And that led to community outcry, like this is in, you know, it's not a totally residential neighborhood, but it's, you know, nearby, like a lot of houses, a golf course, you know. They, you know, they in subsequent tests, the water tested within normal parameters, but that was like years later. And there had already been this layers and layers of litigation and permit applications with the DEC, um, you know, and, until and you San, guys. San, Sandland had disputed those those initial results um, very, yeah. very strongly, which led to a lot of the court cases, too. We should right, we right. should we should explain, too, that. This is a sand mine. There's two things going on here. The sand mine is located right over a part of the aquifer, the sole source aquifer, and they were digging deeper and deeper, and they were they were actually proposing to dig even deeper uh, mm-hmm. to get closer to the aquifer. So that's one issue. And the other one is that the mine was being used to dump uh vegetative wastes and it was being used i think they were they were doing composting and things yeah they were mulching and composting and it was uh like the stump dump where um businesses and people could bring vegetative waste yeah and and that was possibly leading to uh contamination of the groundwater um so the the town and the state both um had tried to shut this down 
Um, oh, although, well, no, be, I careful, be careful when you say the yeah. state because the DEC just yeah. just was That's was true. ignoring court orders and, That's and a, so this renewing. was a crux. Can I guess the crux of this issue? I have to interject this because we've been covering sand mining what, here and both going back to when I was at the News Review for like a couple of decades in Riverhead because we've got a lot of sand here. There's a lot of deep sand. There's also a lot of like pristine aquifer, you know, in the Pine Barrens adjacent to it. The DEC loves sand mining. They love yeah. getting sand extracted and shipped off to concrete places because the state needs concrete. And Long Island is like the supplier of good sand for the whole state. So they want it. They ha are very pro sand mining. And the, the towns out here, including Riverhead, going back to the early 1990s, passed codes that said no, no new sand mines. And the DEC just ignored the town codes. Southampton, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, Brookhaven. Like, it, this is a regional issue with the sand thing. And the DEC just would not be moved, you know. Um, and in fact, you know, th that's the crux of what was litigated and and what the town prevailed in the sand mine case, which I think went all the way to the court of appeals, right? It did, mm -hmm. yes. And well, it, it did, and there was there was a preliminary injunction um, from state supreme court ordering them uh, it, from September, ordering them to stop mining, and and they just um, seemingly and they can't ignored just ignore that. the state's highest court. I mean, the only thing that could overrule that is the supreme court, and I don't think they would ever get cert granted to go to the supreme court. But like you know, they've the the, the the court said in the Sandland case, hey, DEC, you cannot ignore if the, the local code. You can, if the town has a local law that says no sand mining, you have to abide by that. And that's that was a big leap forward and for the, the local municipalities here. And in a separate case, same issue, separate case with a guy you're familiar with, Steve Mizaneski out in Southampton, right? Mm -hmm. He bought a mine here in Riverhead and the DEC gave him a permit, even though we have a code in Riverhead, he, he, they gave him a permit to mine below the, into the aquifer, never mind near, near the aquifer, but into the aquifer. And it's right adjacent to the landfill. And ironically enough, because of that, it's, it's in a, a, a hydrogeologic zone where it's like the, the best water quality, right? which the landfill is already polluting a little. <laughs> but, you know, going into the aquifer right next to the landfill, that we've the town has all kinds of geologic, hydrogeologic studies or whatever. They're going to say it's going to suck that the landfill, that water that's under the landfill, which is blue, into the drinking water that's being used. You know, so it's it, it was a disaster. And so the thing that's baffling about this is, the State Department of Environmental, Environmental Conservation. Conservation. <laughs> it's in their name, and they seem they seem to want to they they seem to be at odds with the towns over this. That in instead of strongly enforcing, they seem to just sort of be very lukewarm about trying to enforce these. And and you could argue worse. I, I and and I, I guess it all boils down to money, Denise, right? I mean it's it's about the Absol sand. It absolutely does. I mean that's a big business. It's extremely lucrative mining sand and selling it specifically. But like another thing is like the real danger here is when they dig a hole, when they dig the mine, right? It's got to get filled up with something. And the DEC regulates that. And they theoretically anyway have the inspectors on site to monitor what goes in the hole. And if you're filling a hole that's going right into the aquifer, right? Like, oh my goodness, like what, you know, if something that's not good goes in that hole and we've seen that happen. I mean, we've seen that happen in Calverton here with, a, you know, a, a mining operation that was convicted or whose principles were convicted in Brookhaven of trying to like illegally put bad stuff in a mine, in a hole, you know, and the DEC still gave them a permit to do the same to, to mine in Riverhead. So it's crazy I, from a, like an environmental standpoint, from a good government standpoint. I'm sorry, I'm ranting. 
No, but this also sets precedents, right? Especially because now yeah. there's a there's a mine seeking to do something similar on Middle Highway in East Hampton, right? You know, and there this this holds precedent, I guess, elsewhere in the state too. It certainly demonstrates yeah. that that the state isn't necessarily going to be uh, active in in trying to monitor these, and and but at the same time, if the towns are giving, they were given special powers to to they were were given the first line of defense to deal with this. I believe that's a Long Island specific ruling too, Denise. Am I that right about that? That sounds familiar. Yeah, I think I think it was just I, I on think, Long Island. I think, I think the right. individual yeah. the individual towns passed passed legislation, I think with the help right. of, of Fred Thiel. That I'm not sure if it's towns, a statewide precedent. The, the, yeah. the authority to um when you know when applications yeah. were coming up for um, for further mining or for renewing mining permits or whatever, um, the state said you have to go to the town. The town has has um, you know the initial um, you know yay or nay on on whether you can do that. And but but then the DEC just ignored that in in the case of of Sandland uh, uh, apparently um, renewed renewed their mining permit. I think allowed uh, you know further allowed them to go further down. Um, in the mine, even though Southampton Town has been fighting legally to get this mine closed, um, you know, for, for years. So, I mean, it, it was a little disturbing. Can I well, compliment your reporter really quick on that story? Um, was that Steve? That was Steve Coates, yes. Stephen Coates. Because, you know, I saw him on Wednesday night and, uh, you know, he just seemed to let those uh, there were some strongly worded text messages from the owner of the mine and he just let it roll off his shoulders. And I was like, yeah, I really respect that. Steve's solid. And <laughs> appreciate that. Yeah. Sure. This is a big issue. And Chris, you talk about precedent. Yeah. And and I mean, I think the, the interesting thing and the point I was sort of leading towards was uh, the uh, the fact that the local governments have been pushed to the forefront it demonstrates there's a reason for that. It's because locally, this is a key issue as far as protecting our aquifer. That may not be an issue upstate in the way it is here. Um, so the town and the towns have attempted to take a, a tougher stance on the sand mines, but if they don't have the backup of the state DEC, it's it's very difficult. And and they've been willing to fight these battles in court. And uh, certainly, uh, Fred Thiel could could speak to this uh, in detail about how they've been fighting for years and years to get this done. So it, it it's interesting to me. It just sort of ended with with. Well, uh, let's not let's not hold the the town you know um, guilt guilt free either. I, I mean, once that injunction was filed, um, you know, in, in state court, you know, the, the town could have come in and tried to enforce that as well. But it, it seemed like it was a, um, uh, a, a, I don't know what, what, what the correct term would be, a, a match between, you know, the town and the DEC with the town saying the DEC should come in and enforce that and shut the mine down. And, and the D and the state kind of saying, well, you know, the town could, could come in and, and shut that down. So, uh, you know, I mean, nobody, nobody was faultless in, you know, in, in this, that, that injunction was, you know, uh, you know, filed in, in September. I mean, you know, where, where, where is the town in it, in its enforcement of that? So uh, Riverheads have been fighting this very battle since the early 1990s and in Calverton with two different sand, big sand mines in Calverton. And the, the one that I referred to before is a different one than the, these other two. Uh, the one where they want to go in, where the DEC recently permitted them to go into the aquifer to expand their mine by going down um, below the water table. Mm. But they've been fighting this and were unsuccessful in, in court in and shutting the mine down because the DEC had issued a permit. So it was just like a ping pong match, you know, yeah. and it wasn't until the Sandland decision, which was a very strong decision after, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that was following state legislative action or not, but that said, you can't do this. And, you know, now it is precedent, at least on Long Island. And we saw that happen very, very recently in court. In this other case that I'm talking about, this mine on Young's Ave on um, on Osborne Avenue in Young's, next to the landfill, 
And the DEC admitted that it, this permit is no good that they issued. We can't we can't do this. And that's a big, big step. Um, the 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 mining company is not giving up though. They're saying that they're you know they're going to refile a new petition. I don't know. We're not. We'll see what grounds they they go with here. But you know, I think that was huge because of this Sandland decision and that law and the law firm that you know represented the towns in, in all of these cases. I think a step forward for water quality. Uh, you know. Yeah, and Chrissy, to your point. There are a lot more of these around, right? Big and small. And and um, there's a couple in like East Quag, right? West Hampton. Yeah. And Where said, is it safe to do sand mining? If it's so vital to our economy and, and construction industry, but yet it's where where can it be done where it doesn't uh, potentially damage our water quality and our accessibility to clean water? Anywhere on Long Island, really? Yeah, it's a great know. question. I, I don't I, know. I think it's something that at some point we need to, to take a, a closer look at because um, I'm fascinated just by the fact that these operations exist yeah. in in this region because they are so. Um, well, but but I, I mean, we got there's the obviously sand, a need it? for it. It's I mean you know well, and, there's obviously but, but a demand to, for it. To, to Michael's point, I mean it, it it would be cost prohibitive to to try to truck that sand in from. New Jersey or upstate New York or or whatever. That's why there's sand sand line sand mines all over, and they use that you know for for construction to you know to make to make uh, you know concrete and 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 all that. So I mean, it's yet yeah, another where, where finite resource, right? I'm sorry, it, it, right. It, it is a finite resource, right? Like, yeah, it's not but never if ending. Waste gets put in any of those holes. We're ruining a finite resource called drinking water for all yeah. of us. That's <laughs> right. the, you know, and I think I think here's one thought that is if the town governments, if the local governments had more faith in the DEC's willingness, ability, et cetera, to monitor what goes on and was and was more transparent about it, the DEC wouldn't let town monitors on site at this mine when, that was in litigation right next to the EPCAL facility. They wouldn't let town monitors. So I think if there was better communication, more transparency, and if the town didn't, if towns didn't feel like the DEC was doing something that was going against their interests and the interests of their residents, that maybe they could work something out. But that you hasn't find, you been could find a, a, You could find a balance if everybody. Well, you know, if they felt like the DEC was actually going to protect the water, you know, the water out here maybe they'd you know maybe they'd feel a little bit differently about it but they don't feel that way and the dec has i feel like really established that that, that they've got no reason to to believe that to be the case i so. don't think it's i think the saga may be over at sandland for now but oh, uh, I think wood. It's, it's gonna have repercussions uh no question because this is an issue that as you said uh continues in a lot of different spots so we'll keep reporting on it this is behind the headlines on wliwfm i'm joe shaw my co-host is bill sutton we're with the express news group our panelists this week are chrissy sampson of the east hampton star michael mackey of right here at wliwfm and denise civiletti of riverhead local and chrissy uh this week, we learned that the governor, uh, Kathy Hochul, has a budget plan that includes some pretty big changes that would affect local school districts. What did we find out? Uh, we found out that um, she's seeking to eliminate like a hold harmless, or was it a do no harm clause that stated that school districts can't get less state aid, state schools funding than they did the year before, right? So... Um, that means that districts out here, because of this wealth factor, right, um, which is another thing that goes into state aid considerations, tons of districts out here are set to lose hundreds of thousands of dollars in state funding towards their budgets. And this is a critical time to put that in context because the tax cap, we have a, ca a cap on tax levy increases in New York State that's been in place since 2012, um, that limits how much a school district or a you know a fire district, et cetera, could raise taxes on their taxpayers, right? So, um, and it, there's a pretty steep threshold that of a supermajority needed for a community to 
override that tax cap, right? But inflation is out of control. And, you know, I think it's at four something percent, but the tax cap is only at 2%. Um, So now school districts are facing a double whammy of the tax cap and this cut to state aid. How are they going to make those, make that money up? That's the question on my mind. You're talking talking about 20%. Or, or or more cuts for for some mm-hmm. districts. I think East Hampton was around uh, a twenty percent cut. Yeah, right. But at the same time, Chrissy, we're we're really talking about cuts to state aid, and when when you're talking about twenty percent, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. But mm-hmm. it doesn't. I mean, in a in a typical school budget, I guess that's not a small amount. I mean, I that no, that, and it depends on the district, Joe. Right? Yeah. I mean, some districts have you know a thirteen million dollar budget. Mm-hmm. And some districts have a, you know, an $80 million budget or even more, you know, and the up, up island districts get a lot more money in state aid because they have a lesser wealth factor right. out here than, than we do out here. Even in a district, you know, Michael brought up that Springs um, School is also on the newly on the governor, the comptroller's list of fiscal stress districts subject to fiscal stress. Right, Michael? Like. Yeah. Susceptible to stress. Yes. Which, by the way, surprised me a little bit because there seemed to be three levels of alert there. And Springs is on sort of the first level of alert. But there are two two higher levels of alert. And I would think Springs would have been a little further up that list because their their budget situation does seem to be, you know, fairly significant. But but just being on the list, they were the only um, South Fork school district that was that was on that list but so michael you had mentioned that what struck you was the reaction of administrators that sort of struck me as well that they were they really seemed to be blindsided by this right there was no political correctness there they were they were alarmed every every single one at east hampton town uh east hampton school district south hampton a uh, Sag Harbor. Sag Harbor, yeah. And Ms. Winter in, uh, in Springs. She seems like she's about to have a nervous breakdown. It's, yeah, can uh, you imagine? I mean, being being um, Deborah Winter in Springs, I, I mean, it just, the hits just keep coming. That's very difficult for, and the small yeah. school districts have the biggest challenge because, uh, you know, they don't have the, the tax base to make up big swings in in budget right. changes and springs doesn't have a commercial tax base really right. to speak of it's right. not right. as significant as you know bridgehampton or sag yeah. harbor or east hampton no, no billion dollar estates the there are a lot of issues here uh, many of the administrators are pointing out how much more expensive it is to provide health care for their uh, staff for their employees for the the people that work for the school district how that's going up significantly it's not going up two percent the, uh, it's the, going up the, around ten yeah, to twelve percent. Yeah, the, we're talking about a million dollars or so, uh, or or many, much more. And the other uh, challenge that the East End School Districts has is to uh, get teachers to come work here in the first place. I mean, it's the dead of winter, and we still have a trade parade traffic uh, issue that's uh, irritating. It used to be that we had a few months off and we could uh, get a break, but just last week. Uh, uh, a drive from Bridgehampton to Southampton that should have taken me uh, 19 minutes took uh, 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Imagine driving two hours to a spring school in the morning just to get your day started. You're already spent before you have a chance to address the, the, the best interests of the children. So how do you attract? Uh, and if you're if you're trying to. Uh, so all these challenges that the East End school districts face are are are. Uh, you can see the administrators feel overwhelmed. On they the sort other of hand, move together. Move. Those issues sort of move together yeah. at the yeah. same time. Very interesting. Now, of course, the governor will tell you, well, there are schools with much greater needs than the East End school districts. Work it out. You're surrounded by such wealth. What well, we've got school districts that are amidst the, the poverty, and so uh, the so the the state has to come up with the with a way of distributing their. Uh, Revenue so that it's, it's fair and equitable to everybody. It's it's uh, but living right here amidst the but, East End, we 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 can we can feel it directly. The governor's I, I budget is not our, the oh sorry, Bill. I, I was just going to say I think a, a lot of our our districts out here are not rich districts. Um, you know, Springs Springs particularly, but other districts are are considered 
um, you know, poor poor districts, even even though you it 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 you know it's on the South Fork and and it and it seems counterintuitive, but a lot of districts aren't doing well. What what surprised me about all this, Chrissy, was was the the you know the the getting rid of that hold harmless uh, clause or, or or whatever it was titled that 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 you're not giving these districts an opportunity to plan and budget for these, you know, for these cuts. If you want to give them less money, um, you know, maybe, maybe that's implemented over, over a few years. I, I think from what I, what I read, the governor, you know, when, when she ran for office was in favor of maintaining this hold harmless clause, um, you know, so that, so that districts aren't blindsided so that when they're thinking about the next year and budgeting for the next year, um, they, they have an idea of about how much they're, they're going to get. Um, and now, then all of a sudden, the the rug she pulled the rug out and said that that she's not going to enforce that this year. And you know, and you've got districts like like Southampton that's going to get you know that's got to make up for four hundred thousand dollars. That's not an well, easy, yeah. you know, that's not a it's not a small amount. But the governor's the governor's proposal is not set in stone. Right. It won't be. You know, now we need to go. The state legislature needs to take a look and act. And our assemblyman, Fred Thiel, came out in a press release earlier this week saying he won't support, he won't vote to support a budget that it, that puts schools in this situation. So, you know, he's been an advocate for education, a big supporter of education, um, you know, for a long time. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, that is, and, and what complicates that further is that the state budget is due by April 1st, right? School budgets, then get voted on like a month and 21 days later. So the districts have to plan without this, without with this uncertainty as you were referring to, Bill, because they're they're building their fiscal plans at the same time. Right. You know, and it's uh and and that's a big swing yeah. this year, hundreds of thousands of dollars that, you know, a, a tax levy is only part of school revenue. The rest of it is state aid or non-resident tuition or grant money. And, you know, Deborah, you mentioned Deb Winter in Springs. She's an excellent grant writer and she gets a lot of outside sources for, you know, her district when she, you know, she 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 applies for different grants and such. But, um, you know, and that's still still they're under the susceptibility to fiscal stress. And all these state districts are districts in the state are subject to this hold harmless situation. Fred Thiel made the point, too, in in that press release that the hold harmless was part of an attempt over several years for the state to step up the state aid to try and increase funding for education. And if you take those steps forward, the point I think he made, I don't want to speak for Fred, but the point he's making is if you're taking those steps forward over a few years, now you're going to suddenly pull back you, right. You're undoing a lot of the good that you've done with that policy as well. It doesn't doesn't really show consistency in in what you're trying to do there. So, um, as Chrissy, well, you made the point. Fred Fred said this is just the governor's proposed budget, and there's a lot of uh, cattle trading to be done in Albany probably before it becomes set in stone. Assemblyman Thiel seemed to indicate that he thought he had three years to to address this, that she's jumping in after year one, and the indication was that it would be three years before Hold Harmless was taken away, uh, and the situation we're facing now would be faced. Can can you explain how this, like, parses with last year, with the last few years, they've been like, we're we're working to fully fund foundation aid. And it seemed like they were finally getting there. And is this rolling that back now? Like, how does this work? It's such a complicated formula. I've been covering education for like, I don't know, 15 years. And I still don't know how to speak to that intelligently, Denise. Like, it's there's so many different factors that go into that. Mm. I I don't know how it's calculated either. I was surprised that the governor went there with her budget only because... um, I mean, obviously, education spending at the state level is a controversial topic, but it's it's politically I don't know that it's politically advantageous to I guess there's a sort of Robin Hood quality to it because that she can pitch it as well. Right. We're, we're taking aid away from wealthy districts. But that's what you're again, saying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But but again, um, the, yeah. it is much more complicated than that. 
Well, there's also look, I and I don't <clears throat> I don't want to sound cynical. Um, I, I'm a fan of of Fred Thiel, and I think he does a great job. But but I feel like um, I feel like, and it's more extreme this year. But I feel like every year we kind of go through this whole you know proposed proposed budget. There might be some cuts, and and then the legislators, including you know including Fred you know, come back, oh, we're going to get you more. And then there's a little more. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you, you've got, um, you've got the legislators, you know, coming in, um, you know, saving the day. And, and it just seems that, um, you know, maybe, um, maybe those negotiations should happen a little earlier. Um, mm. just so you're not putting these districts in, you know, and, in the in a tough spot i For i wonder me, is, is it is it time to to talk about you know the the tax cap i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna cut aid but you're still implementing this two percent tax cap um you know is is that tax cap still fair and, and i think the tax cap worked really well to to kind of um, rein in the, you know, runaway spending. I remember before the tax cap and you would have districts that would be raising taxes 10, 12, you know, 14% or, you know, tax levies, you know, in, increasing that much. So I, I think it, it did a good job, but how do you, how do you, you know, how do you marry that tax cap and saying you can only raise taxes so much, but we're going to give you less aid? You know, one of the things that um, seems to me as um you know, like a, I don't know, mixed message maybe from Governor Hochul is that in earlier this month, um, she announced a list of priorities, right? Um, and second on her list of school priority of, of state of the state priorities was to improve reading proficiency for children, right? Mm -hmm. And this cutting of the aid seems so counterproductive to that tenet that she said, you know, every child should have the best shot, the best shot to learn how to read, to become completely literate, you know, and then you get like a district, you know, with like Springs, like in some of those third graders, only 30% of the third graders are proficient in reading. And studies show that if you're falling behind at third grade, you're going to have a lot of work to do to catch up. If, if you, you know, ever can, yeah. If you ever can, yeah. And so it seems the the state aid cut seems to be counterintuitive to the priority that she laid out. You know, I'm looking at a press release on January 3rd. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I and, and again, this goes to the nature of debating the funding of schools in general, because I think it's so much of it, you know, the state cap was about trying to limit the local taxation, but the money's got to come from somewhere, no question. Right. And I don't think schools are spending uh, wildly, uh, you know, for the most part. A lot of them are, are on the cutting edge. I think it also leads inevitably to a conversation for the smallest districts, which I think are affected most whether or not it may be time to rethink the size of those districts and maybe a need for some consolidation. Want to hear um, something really funny? Mm. Two of the smallest districts don't even get state aid. Sagaponic and Wainscott are so small that they don't even qualify their common school districts. They don't get state aid at all. How about that? Yeah. So, so, so a move like this doesn't really affect them all right. that much. But, but boy, it you know, does affect in the some others. Yeah, in the consolidation conversation, well, that plays that. into yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. if you look back to the tax cap and the the genesis of that and where it came from and stuff, like that was part of like a big on the state's part consolidation push. I think it was. Right. Uh, it was meant to encourage that. How many right. districts have we seen consolidate since twenty twelve? Any? Uh, right. And, Not out here. No. Certainly none locally. But yeah. that was part of like, you know, turning the screw to, you know, that's really what that was part of. That was that was like one of the goals of, of the tax cap, I think. The new Suffolk School District has a vote on March 5th as to whether or not they're, they'll continue with sending children to their building or, mm. or uh, outsourcing. Becoming an administrative district, right? Yeah. yeah. Administrative only. They well, have that. That's the not the first time. Or New Suffolk either. Hmm. Did they do that before? Yeah, they've had that a similar referendum before, you know. Hmm. 
wonder if we'll see some similar conversations out here at some point. Um, the budgetary challenges get get bigger and bigger every year. And I think the small districts are the ones that are affected most by it. So something to think about. Uh, this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Panelists this week are Christy Sampson of the East Hampton Star, Michael Mackey of WLIWFM, and Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local. Denise, let's talk sewers. We love talking sewers <laughs> on this show. The sewers only thing that gets me as jazzed up as sand is sewers, Joe. That's Thanks. exactly. Sand <laughs> sewers. We're going to get T-shirts made. Dirty sand water and, and clean water. <laughs> so the Riverside Sewer District. Um, this is an interesting uh, ongoing development because it's so close to Riverhead, right on the border of Southampton and Riverhead. What, what's going on up there? Yeah, I mean, it's really, when you think about it, one community. I mean, everybody's recognizing that finally. And um, in terms of the town officials, like, um, so back in 2015, after some study and um, environmental review process, the whole state environmental quality review process. Um, the town of Southampton adopted a new zoning overlay district for the area of Riverside, which is like one of the poorest in the in the entire county. Um, very, you know, very much in need of um, redevelopment and investment. I don't think there's any, anybody that can argue with that. Mm -hmm. Anybody that drives through there, which a lot of people do on their way to the South Fork because they come through, you know, off the expressway and go through the, the traffic circle in Riverside, right, at 24. Um, you know, you see what that looks like. And, but there's so and, much potential too, right? There, yeah. You know, I mean, there's, and there's a lot of complications, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of potential because the land and and housing and, and stuff there has been historically on the low end. So people, you know, investors could snap that up. But there this this zoning was intended to incentivize that, to incentivize investment, to incentivize development dollars being put into the area. And the way they suggested, well, the way the zoning plans to do this, which is precisely what well, maybe not precisely, but very much what Riverhead has done on the north side of the river is through, um, like, you know, high-density multifamily development, mixed use. So retail, restaurants, et cetera, ground floor, apartments above. And um, that's that was put into place. But basically, that none of that has occurred because you can't do that kind of development in Suffolk County without access to sewage treatment. And you especially can't do that in the Riverside area because of its proximity to the Peconic River and the estuary system, which, you know, so um, that has not happened. The, the sewer plant is going to be like, what, $35 million um, to build. And it's not just a plant, but, you know, the pipes and the hookups and stuff. And sure. um, the town of Southampton has been working toward getting that funded. It's not something that happens overnight. The town of Southampton, bless it, has had been able to invest some of its um, CPF and other resources into, um, you know, funding that. It's gotten grants. Um, it's looking to get additional funding, and it's it's kind of in the home stretch of the fundraising part. I think. Um, yeah, I think Steve was looking came in. Yeah, it's looking really, really positive. It's Steve close. Malone came in and 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 talked about a big, big influx of money from the county just and, recently. Yeah, and so in in rides the town of Riverhead on horseback <laughs> at, <laughs> at the at the hearing on the environmental impact statement for the district. Like they did all that for the zoning, but now they're doing that for the district. That's also gone through some design changes for a lot of different reasons, but. Um, so they're getting there with with that aspect of it, and the town of Riverhead comes in. Town of Riverhead officials comes in and say, "Wait, wait, wait, wait! Yeah, this is a really bad idea. You shouldn't do this kind of development here. You need to have more like a housing mix. You need owner occupied housing. You need market rate housing, which." Riverhead started to do market rate, some market rate rentals. They haven't really accomplished owner occupied housing on the north side in this redevelopment district and in their, you know, beefed up zoning to allow that kind of thing. And and they said, you know, 
you need to do this stuff. And what you're doing now is really just going to concentrate, they said, um, the um, existing, um, I don't know how to put it, but like there's already, it's already an area of concentrated minority, racial and ethnic minority uh, residents. And what you're, the way you're going about this, you're going to, you're going to concentrate that even more. And they, they called it reverse redlining, mm. which I, but, but I, you know, I feel like that's kind of a red herring argument because I don't think we've seen that happen in the housing that, that has gotten built in downtown Riverhead because uh, you know, the so-called affordable, if, if we met, if we work on the assumption that, the minority populations that live in these kind of downtrodden areas that have been plagued with like slumlords, but, you know, renting, you know, substandard homes. Um, those people tend to be like low income and that's documented by the census. Right. And they don't qualify for these apartments that are affordable housing right. and workforce apartments because their low, their income is too low for that. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's kind of like a red herring argument, but it's the argument the town made. And they went to the GIS well, you know, a couple weeks ago. You, you don't then, want to displace the population in, in Flanders either, well, I, I wouldn't think. And I, I, I think that, you know, the idea of redevelopment was was not to bring in a new community. but Remember, but it's to, not Flanders, it's Riverside. It's Riverside. There's a difference. But, you know... <laughs> I, I don't think I think that it's I, I think that they're not this isn't going to this is not going to do that. Like it's it, it this isn't going to give the people who live there the opportunity to live in better, better home housing because it why, I, why I don't, is that? I don't, because because there are there are, it's, it, they go the the affordability is determined by the Nassau Suffolk your income levels are determined by the Nassau Suffolk regional median income. Mm-hmm. And that does not reflect the median income of the local community here. Like, mm. You know, Riverhead in general, and certainly not the hamlets that we're talking about, downtown Riverhead, Riverside, right? Um, and so th- those income requirements and the rents that are allowed are just way out of whack with what's yeah. actually affordable to the people who are living in these substandard homes with failing septic systems. <laughs> let's let, also add that. Um, but, you know, that's that's the reality. And that's why it's not going to address their need. And it will displace that, that population to the extent that those homes are redeveloped with, you know, um, and that's not a given either. I mean, much of what is being planned there is for what you would consider like the commercial part of Riverside, right. uh, you know, along 24 and stuff. Um, it's, and it just about, demonstrates the, the whole idea of affordable so housing is yeah. so complicated. Like, yeah. like the last thing you want to do is create housing opportunities there that displace people who already right. live there because it's an affordable place to live. Right. Um, I, I don't I don't envy the people who have to figure out that you've got to chart a course here that that makes sense across the board. That's very I, I don't know that every public official, unfortunately, shares your view about the, it's the last thing you want to do. Let me just mm. put that out there and leave that. But I, I mean, I think that that's the reality of, of this kind of redevelopment. And, um, you know, I, I think what gets the the burr in the saddle is that the right uh, in Riverhead's saddle yeah. is that and the, what the point they were trying to make is like oh well sure you know you have all of these wealthy people again with that you know living all over you know Southampton town and you've concentrated the poor people and I'm using air quotes right um, you concentrated the poor people in this downtrodden area right adjacent to downtown Riverhead and you want to keep it that way. Like that's mm-hmm. the subtext. It's not even really a subtext. It's kind of like what they were saying out loud at mm-hmm. the last public hearing. So, um, fast forward to this week, and um, Riverhead returned to talk to the town board in the context of the hearing it had on the, um, uh, the, the on the on the sewer district itself, not the GEIS, but the creation of the district, and the town supervisor in Riverhead went and spoke to the town 
board and said that Riverhead would like to, again, we, we urged them to, that, that we urge you to revisit this plan and the town of Riverhead is offering to help you, a partner with you on it. We want to have input on it. And um, Was, wasn't the I town would, of Riverhead invited to participate yes, in the whole absolutely. redevelopment plan a decade ago when when River Riverside what, what was the 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 organization the redevelopment organization? Well, Riverside was like the revisited Riverside, Riverside revisited yeah rediscovered I, I, I think but I mean the town of Riverhead at that time was invited to participate and said no right? Well, it didn't say no, but it didn't really step up participate it yeah. had a seat at the table that really went unoccupied um mm. and i you know and so yeah but you know now they're saying well you know we have this experience we want to partner with you we think this is not the right way to go about it and um you know we, we want to partner with you and the supervisor in the town of river red offered to help fund a new study a market study and demographic study for this redevelopment project in riverside which is kind of ironic when you consider the financial resources of riverhead town but that's what was said it, it, is the is the point to to try to keep the development north of the river and south of the river consistent with 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 each other to you know to to kind of have some of the same goals is that is that why Riverhead has an interest at this point? I, I I don't know that the goals have really been different. I think that Riverhead, what Riverhead has been articulating is you need a better mix of housing stock there, which is what they're aspiring to on the north side of the river with market rate rentals and presumably at some point home ownership opportunities, which is a formula that's worked in the village of Patchogue too. I mean, that's, right. you know, they went down that path. So, you know, but be that as it may, this is what they're they're pitching, and they didn't really get a response from the Southampton Town Board. Though Supervisor Hubbard told me yesterday that um, Thursday that he he felt that they were receptive to it. The other part of what they were stressing to or, or urging on the town board was in Southampton was that the district, the Riverhead Riverside sewer district boundaries should include the river the the, the Riverside. The, I'm sorry, the county facilities in Riverside, which is the county um, correctional facility, the county center offices, and the criminal courts building. That's all in Riverside, right? They stopped just short with the line that they drew for the, for the, um, for the district. They stopped just short of that, and Riverhead says, hey, you really need to include that in this district. It's closer, it's more appropriate, and that's eating up. Almost that, that all right now is 000. part of the the That's, Riverhead that, sewer um, district. Yes, thank you, thank you, Bill. Yes, it, it's being served uh, under that, a that jail. That that jail just just has to account for a huge portion of, of what's being. Well, I I don't know because there are a lot fewer inmates in the jail now than yeah. Like you know, I mean, since the Criminal Justice Reform Act, that's like you know they've got a lot of empty space there. So it's not what it used to be, but. The, the design but still flow. it's a huge facility yeah well and and the county center there's a lot of offices there and and whether it's occupied or not this is a point that the sewer riverhead sewer superintendent made to me Thursday was whether it's actually occupied or not the town of Riverhead by contract is serving this area that those facilities they have to set aside the the amount of what they call sanitary flow, which is what they what gets flushed down the toilet and runs to, into the sinks, that goes to the Riverhead sewer sewage treatment plant, which is much farther away from where you know it's this this facilities are than than where the Riverside sewage treatment plant is going to be. Um, but we got to set aside that amount of of flow, whether it's actually coming from the facility on any given day or not. So right. the design flow is like almost 170,000 gallons per day. And, you know, Riverhead is on is nearing its capacity for the sewage treatment plant in, on Riverhead. So the town, it's, Riverhead town is like, we really want to get that capacity back. It's really crucial for redevelopment of our downtown and other places that depend on sewage treatment, you know, to, to have that capacity back. You take it and, and it will bring you revenue too. I mean, which they need for this district. So 
So we only have a couple of minutes left and staying on sewers because we love talking sewers. Um, Chrissy, um, in Montauk at Ditch Plain, there's a, a little development there related to sewers too. You have a couple of minutes. Do you want to outline it? Yeah. So um, about five and a half, six years ago, the Montauk Shores, the trailer condominium complex on basically on oceanfront on Ditch Plain, right? Um, they applied to the Suffolk County Department of Health Services to get a new permit to build a sewage treatment plant on site because, you know, there have been complaints over foul odors and, you know, people were getting sick in the water at Ditch Plain for a while. And um, uh, concerned citizens of Montauk had found the enterococcus bacteria in the water at some point. And um, and that's, you know, basically human, a human waste bacteria. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, Montauk Shores gets this. um approval from the Suffolk County Health Department in December. And now they've gone to the South, to the East Hampton Town Planning Department to say, okay, we're ready to go. And now they have to go through all this site plan review process. And that's very, in the very, very early stages. Um, and so this critical project that's been five, six years in the making, um, you know, it took an inch forward this, the, you know, last month and, there's still got a lot of hurdles in the way, but my goodness, in the context of like, you know, environmental quality here, it just blows my mind that it's moving so slowly, you know, the overall. inch forward sort of just highlights how far there is to go right before mm -hmm. they can address this. And in the meantime, the, the problem just continues to exist there. Right. Yeah. Yep. yep. This is, this is why these, uh, you know, we're behind, behind the sewers, uh, mm -hmm. is the name of the show. And, uh, but there's a reason with the, in, really in all this, there is a reason yeah. we talk about this. It is yes. one of the most important, important issues. It's related to development. It's related to the environment. It's related to the water. This is all crucial stuff. And I wonder the new administrations and all the town, uh, offices, uh, if that will change the way we approach the issue, moving forward uh it's certainly going to continue to be a topic of conversation we're out of time for this week but i'm sure we'll be revisiting it again in the not too distant future uh i want to thank our panelists this week chrissy sampson sampson of the east hampton star denise civiletti of riverhead local and michael mackey of wliwfm thank you guys we appreciate it thank, thank you all very thank much thank you Thank you also to my co-host, Bill Sutton, and I'm Joe Shaw. We'll be back next week with another edition of Behind the Headlines. Thank you, guys.